Greetings, brethren, from headquarters. I want to give, again, warm welcome to all of the brethren throughout the world. In warfare, there are different strategies to defeat the enemy. We're familiar with the term blitzkrieg, a lightning-quick, decisive attack. But there is another kind of tactic that also aims at destroying an enemy, and it's called the long war. The United States faced such a situation in Vietnam, a war that lasted 30 years. It wore down the will of a nation to gain victory. The phrase, the long war, was used also by the IRA. In the 1977 edition of the Green Book, an introduction, induction and training manual used by the provisionals, it describes the strategy of the long war in these terms. A war of attrition against enemy personnel based on causing as many deaths as possible so as to create a demand from their people at home for their withdrawal. A bombing campaign aimed at making the enemy's financial interest in our country unprofitable while at the same time curbing long-term investment in our country. To make the six counties ungovernable except by colonial military rule. To sustain the war and gain support for its ends by national and international propaganda and publicity campaigns. The phase, the long war, was also used by President Bush. The long war is a term used by the administration of the U.S. government in referring to U.S. actions against various governments and terrorist organizations as a reaction to the September 11th attacks. Other designations are the war on terrorism, the war on terror, global war on terror, but it's been criticized as a justification for a perpetual war. Now, why is this concept of the long war important to the church of God? There is a prophecy in the book of Daniel. You'll turn to Daniel chapter 7. And this particular prophecy that covers history as well as events very quickly to come. In Daniel 7, verse 25, says, He shall speak pompous words, referring to this very powerful religious figure, pompous words against the Most High. And in the Old King James Version of the Scriptures, it words it this way, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Now notice what the expositor's Bible commentary says on this subject. By cruel and systematic pressure, he will oppress, which means wears away or wears out, as friction wears out clothes or sandals. Such continual and protracted persecution far more effectively breaks the human spirit than the single moment of crisis that calls for a heroic decision. It is easier to die for the Lord than to live for Him under constant harassment and strain. What kind of pressures could be used to wear out the saints wear out you as one of God's people 
one of our brethren. There are different kinds of pressures that prophecies show that will be used. There'll be economic pressures, we understand, uh, in regard to the mark of the beast, where no man can buy or sell without that mark. We know that there are moral laws that can wear out the saints. That is, laws or customs that go against the very spiritual principles of God's law. There can be mental uh, pressures, that is, dissent or opposition that will be adjudged treasonable and will be very difficult to surmount. And then, of course, there'll be the physical pressures, imprisonment, fines, even slavery, and ultimately death. Well, why should we be concerned now with some events that have not yet happened but are prophesied to come? Why be concerned at this present time? The reason is that that same being who influences the coming beast and false prophet to wear out the saints also pressures God's people today. One of the fiercest battles we face is that of maintaining strength when Satan is trying to wear us down. The title of today's sermon is The Long War. There are warnings that the spiritual battle that we face would be a very long and difficult one. The prophecy of this warfare begins in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Many of you are familiar with this particular prophecy because it actually is a foretelling of the need for Jesus Christ to gain victory over Satan and his willingness to die for the sins of humankind. In verse 14 of Genesis 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And most commentators believe this is to be a prophecy of that sacrifice of Christ. But also in this prophecy, there would be enmity between Satan and humankind uh, during its entire history. The Bible is a record of this spiritual warfare against humankind and more specifically God's people throughout history. How does Satan try to wear down the saints? How does Satan try to wear down you? In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we'll begin with a tactic that is so common with Satan. Deuteronomy 25 Verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and you were weary and he did not fear God. So we understand that the way Satan attacks is not necessarily just head on. He doesn't pit strength against strength necessarily. But he attacks the stragglers, the weak, those who are just worn out, tired. 
And that's the way he would inspire others to gain victory over God's people. In 2 Samuel 17 and verse 1, we find that that same tactic, the wearing out, this pro, uh, protracted warfare, has always been, again, a tactic of, of Satan against God's people. Again, we go down to 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, referring to King David. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary, while he is exhausted and weak, and I'll make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. So again, we see this spirit that, again, from the very beginning has declared war on mankind, and more specifically, God's people. And one of that main tactics, or main tactics that he would be using, Satan the devil, would be to wear out, attack when people are tired and, and exhausted and are ready to give up physically, spiritually, weak. So how does God, or how does Satan in this case, uh, cause people to get into that kind of state? How do you make God's people weary and tired and where it makes life difficult to go on? Well, there's several main ways. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but there's some of the main ways. One, by iniquity, by lawlessness. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 22. Fascinating comment, a prophecy that Isaiah is inspired to write here. Isaiah 43 and verse 22. Isaiah 43, verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities." We have to think about that. If God can be burdened and wearied by our sins, well, how much more will sins wear us down? Let's go to Matthew 24. Explain that a little more thoroughly. Matthew 24, verse 12. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. When we're in an atmosphere where lawlessness is again all around us, then we find our ability to love our neighbors as ourselves, to live God's way of love, to practice His laws fully, uh, again with with a great enthusiasm and zeal. Uh, that ability is worn down when we're in a, such a negative, hateful, lawless, rebellious atmosphere. And he says, if lawlessness abounds, then 
the love of many can very much wax cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So we have to endure that. We have to fight against that. Second Timothy chapter 3. Book of Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul writes to this young evangelist. And Timothy was a favorite, one of the favorites of Paul because he identified with the zeal and the family background that Timothy had. He had a grandmother, a, a mother who were faithful in the faith. Uh, Timothy was, in a sense, a long line of believers, a young man. But he also realized, uh, and that's why Paul was writing to him, uh, that as a young man, he could have, uh, again, the frustration of having to put up with a lot of stress and, and the difficulties. In fact, he even prophesies of the end time here in verse 1 of Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. If you'll check your marginal reference, another translation can also equally mean times of stress, times of pressure will come. What kind of pressures could wear down a man or woman of God? Well, for men will be lovers of themselves. If you're living in a tremendously selfish age where everyone is only thinking of what pleasures them, of what benefits them, and they have no concern for other people. And when they are lovers of money, not just using money uh, to meet their needs, and sometimes some of their even uh, more, uh, say, greater blessings, but they just love money. They love to collect it. They love to uh, put down other people so that they can get more. Uh, it's, it's just added a spirit. But if you live in a society where people love themselves, they love money. They boast, not of God, but of their own accomplishments, uh, what kind of people they are, where they are proud, they are vain. They even go to the point of blaspheming. They put themselves way above the eternal God. And they are disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. Uh, that goes... Again, to obedience to parents where they're unthankful for the blessings that their parents have given them. And they're unthankful for the blessings God has given them. Every time they get perhaps a, a wonderful material uh, good or goods or blessings, it's basically, well, what's next? Yeah, I've got this, but what's, what's next? You know, they're unthankful. Unholy. They don't, they don't live uh, by the direction of God and His Spirit. But they are instead unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Yet they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Now think about what it's like to live in these conditions. How difficult is it to watch your own attitude? How easy is it not to be worn down by what everyone else is doing around you in society? You know, your boss, uh, your neighbors down the street, 
uh, maybe some of your relatives were not in the church of God. And then other things you see or other uh, TV shows or movies you see in the uh, cinema. And you see what everyone else is thinking and doing. How easy is it not to get worn down? Uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult circumstance, isn't it? Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. We find a very powerful prophecy of the end time. Here in verse 34 of Luke 21. Christ says, take heed to yourselves. Watch your spiritual conditions. Why? Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life. He's saying essentially in more brief terms uh, what Paul was writing to Timothy about, that there's going to be times of stress, and these times of stress can wear you down. We can be influenced by them. And so Christ warns about that, and that that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and watch your spiritual condition. Watch your, your way of life, your actions, your attitudes. And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So we find iniquity is a tactic, a, an attitude, a spirit that Satan uses to wear down his people if we're not careful, if we don't watch ourselves, if we uh, simply cave in to what society is doing. Another tactic in this long war to wear down God's people would be time. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's go in verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Notice again, we're talking about the iniquity here. But they're saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, you know, since the fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's one of the problems of a long war. People begin to lose their will, beginning to think, well, it's, it's never going to end. The purpose of the war is never going to be fulfilled. Uh, we might as well get, you know, go home and quit. And that's this aspect. Well, where is the promise of Christ coming? You know, things haven't changed. People have always said Christ is going to return, but he's not here yet. So it's probably never going to happen. And they begin to wear down the zeal and the, the uh, devotion for God's kingdom. And they continue, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water 
by which the world that then was existed, and it perished, being flooded with water, saying they forgot that you know, Christ prophesied about that, and that happened in the time of Noah. In the same way, the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word of judgment, reserved by fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, God's timing is not our timing. We have to wait on God's timing. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So begin to see that individuals can use time against God's people. And they can say, well, look how long you've been in the church. Uh, Christ isn't here yet. Maybe you started out, as many of us uh, have. Uh, When I started out, I was a teenager. Hard to believe. You know, when you look at the gray hair and the uh, white eyebrows. But I was a teenager, uh, just out of high school. And many years have passed. Does that mean that what was prophesied, what I learned through the Scriptures and Bible, uh, have not come to pass, and nor will they ever come to pass? Absolutely not. God is faithful. And I have absolute assurance that what God has promised, He will perform. And Christ is going to return. But how many can get worn out through the years, start out really young and youthful and vigorous, energetic, now give their lives to God's way of life, anticipating the kingdom of God. And then year after year, uh, problems after problems, difficulties, trials, tests, and finally begin to think, well, is it worth it? I'm, I'm being worn out here, getting older. I don't have the energy, don't have the strength. Well, maybe, maybe Christ isn't going to come after all. You see the problem. You know, Satan can use time against us if we're not careful, Mark chapter 13, the book of Mark, chapter 13, and verse 32, you find here in this particular verse, again, a prophecy of Jesus Christ, but of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. So Christ is saying, don't worry about the time. It's in, you know, the timing is in God's hands. But because you do not know the time, the day, the hour here, as he he talks about, you take heed, you be careful, you watch, you continue to pray, for again, you don't know. For that very reason, you've got to keep close to your God, uh, knowing that even though you don't know what the time is, it is going to happen, and you've got to be prepared. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight. Maybe it's a crowing of the rooster or in the morning. Lest 
coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And watch what I say, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So time can wear us out to the point that we get tired and weary. And again, as, as it shows here, I fall into a spiritual sleep. Matthew 25, very familiar uh, prophecy and parable that we have referred to over the years. But it's again a powerful understanding of, of this, how, how Satan can use time again to wear us out. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But here was the problem. The while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Said so when we don't know the time and we think that a prophecy is overdue or the bridegroom is overdue here, we tend to think, well, maybe he's not coming for a long while of it all. And we go into this, again, spiritual stupor. Well, verse 13, the purpose of this, one of the purposes of this parable was this, watch therefore. You watch your spiritual condition. Don't get worn down. Don't get... Uh, worn out, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And since you don't know that, always be prepared. You know, stay alert. Don't get worn down by any reason. And then there's one other area which is very critical to God's people as far as how Satan could use this tactic to wear us down, to make this, against spiritual war a long one uh, for us. Galatians 6 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. We find the Apostle Paul writing to God's people here in uh, this part of the world. He says here in verse 7, Galatians chapter 6, Let him who has taught the word, uh, and then starting in verse 6 here, but we'll begin there. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things, with him who teaches. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's an important principle that every farmer, every gardener understands that if you put in a particular seed, then a particular plant will come out. Now, there are some of us who are not very good gardeners, and we might make some mistakes. We plant something. We assume that's going to be, you know, a pumpkin or a turnip or whatever it might be. And it comes out something totally different because we misread the package uh, or we didn't do things right. But God is not like that. And, of course, a competent farmer is not like that. They know that whatever they plant, uh, they're going to harvest or, or uh, reap. And same thing spiritually. For he who sows to his flesh... Of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't be weary, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, how in the world could we ever be weary 
in doing good. In some ways, you know, it doesn't seem possible that that could, that could happen. But, you know, it can happen if we don't think we are seeing results. Let's turn back to Malachi just as an example. The book of Malachi. And we'll put it in more practical terms. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. We find that in the book of Malachi, Malachi is very interesting. God corrects uh, these people and then they keep saying, well, well, that's not true. Or how have we wearied you? How have we done this? How have we robbed you? Uh, and they keep arguing back. And here we find in Malachi 2 verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? What are they saying? Well, people can do bad things, but nothing ever happens to them. And that even people who uh, may do good, it uh, doesn't work out. Where's the God of justice? You know, it doesn't, you know, we're just not seeing results here. Uh, David had that problem. Let's turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. In this particular psalm, it's very graphic of what is being stated here. And actually, this is a psalm of Asaph. I should correct myself here, not a psalm of David. Uh, but certainly uh, would express what many people uh, have felt from time to time. Uh, Psalm 73, verse 1. You know, truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. We could say the same thing about the church of God. You know, truly, God is good to his people. There have been wonderful healings. There have been great material blessings and spiritual blessings. But verse 2, it's interesting. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now think about that. You might think, well, here, I've been tithing. But I'm not prospering that much. I don't have a swimming pool. I don't have a mansion. You know, I've got uh, maybe a, just a, a small compact car. And then I look at the wicked. I see those individuals who don't obey your law. They don't tithe. They don't follow your laws of, of life. And look at what they have. They've got prosperity. They've got millions of dollars, wonderful homes. Uh, nothing happens to them. And there are no pangs in their death. No pains. You know, they seem to you know, live to be a hundred and then die peacefully. That's not fair, God. Here, I'm doing good, but it's not working out for me. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. And therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. As we go through the scriptures, by the way, these aren't always accurate statements. But suddenly we get an attitude, we think in terms of a people who aren't obeying God, and we psychologically think that nothing ever happens to them. 
their eyes bold with abundance. They have more than heart could wish, and yet they scoff. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Notice that's the issue here. This individual is seeing at least the perception that we're going to have ungodly, wicked individuals. And the idea is, that, well, nothing ever happens to them. But I've cleansed my heart. But for what purpose? And I've not been blessed. What is, what, uh, what is happening here? You know, I'm, I'm trying to do good, but I'm getting weary of it because I don't see the results of it. I've washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I have been plagued. I've been chastened every morning. But verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. And he talks about the prophecies of their destruction yet to come. If they don't repent, you know, life is going to be awful for them. He said, once I sought my God, went to the sanctuary, began to put the scriptures together, I realized I had a, a wrong impression here. That, you know, it is worth doing good. It is worth cleansing your ways. It is good to, as he says, wash my hands in innocency. It is good to follow God's way of life. Even though there are tests and trials, there are blessings. When you see the end of all things, eternal life in the kingdom of God forever. You know, what a wonderful end that God's people have. Uh, but we have to consider that. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 3. Hebrews 12 verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, your lives. And was Christ weary of well-doing? Did he ever get to the point? Say, well, I'm tired of healing these people. I'm, I'm tired of giving sight to the blind, uh, causing the lame to walk, uh, causing the deaf to hear, because they're just not going to be converted like I want them to be converted. I'm tired of uh, multiplying fish and loaves. I'm tired of doing these things. Uh, it's not worth it. It's discouraging. And uh, therefore, I don't really want to give my life as a sacrifice for these people. It's just not worth it. I'm tired of it. Is, it. is that the way he felt? No. He said, you have not resi yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. See, Christ wasn't weary, even though he was suffering hostility when he was doing good. And yet he ran his race and he finished it. 
just like the apostle Paul did. And then he describes here, that is Paul in Hebrews, that we should be willing to be corrected and work with by God because the end result is wonderful. We have to, again, consider this. You know, are we weary of being admonished to pray, that is to get close to God, to continue to study, to continue to fast? Does that ever weary us thinking, well, what does it get us in the long run? What's in it for me? Are we tired of helping out God's people? If you think about that, well, I've been you know, helping drive the, the widow to church services. Uh, I've given food to the poor. Uh, I've helped people get to the Feast of Tabernacles and have them give a good time. I've been doing all these things, but what's in it for me? You know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm, I want God's kingdom. I want, I want these blessings. I want my mansion. I want my swimming pool, whatever it is you want. And it's getting tiresome. I keep giving and giving and giving, and I don't see all the appreciation. I don't see all the results. Uh, what's going wrong? See, that's a tactic Satan has because it gives us a wrong impression. Because the reality, there always have been blessings. We have been getting things in return. We just haven't necessarily always seen them as such. You know, are we tired of being burdened with doing the work of God? You know, when you first started out, when we first started out in, in the church of God, uh, it was exciting to hear the growth of the work of God. Exciting to know new individuals are sitting in service for the very first time. They're learning about the Sabbath. They're learning about the plans of God. They're, they're enthusiastic about learning how to live by God's way of life. They're preparing to be kings and rulers in the kingdom of God. And then to be able to support the telecast and the publications and the getting out of the gospel and all of these various opportunities. Uh, after a while, do we finally get to the point where I've been doing this year after year after year after year? Well, is it worth it? I feel tired. feel like you know, not, not everything is happening like it, like it should be on, on the time schedule. Yeah, that can happen. We can be burdened. Feel that way, at least. Uh, if that were true, by the way, though, think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, if anyone would have the right to say, I, 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 I'm weary and well-doing, uh, not only Jesus Christ could have felt that way, but the Apostle Paul could have felt that way. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 22. He talks about all that he went through. He begins, you know, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Because there were people saying, well, you know, we're really Hebrews. Well, Paul, you're, uh, maybe you're a fake Hebrew. <laughs> you know, you're not really a Hebrew because you're spending too much time with the Gentiles. So I'm sure there were some accusations about the Apostle Paul. You know, are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I speak uh, foolishly here. Uh, but I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Because he was beaten and he was scourged. He suffered prison time more frequently. Uh, in death more often. Uh, certainly he was near death, perhaps even dead at one time where he was stoned and they took him up for dead. But either God revived him or he just was too close to death. But he was near there as it often. 
And from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And think about all that he came, you know, in prison, you know, in shackles, you know, spending his time besides praying and studying, I'm sure he was, at least in his mind, you know, kind of watching the rats uh, traipse by in, in troops, uh, you know, on a piece of driftwood floating in the, in the ocean, probably wondering what kind of creepy crawly creatures are, are swimming below my feet. Uh, am I going to get chopped by a, a huge fish? Uh, going through all of that in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. If someone could have said, you know, it's enough is enough. You know, maybe one year of this, I can handle that. But not year after year after year. And especially when a lot of people did not appreciate all the work that Paul had done, that God had done through the Apostle Paul. Might be a better way of wording that. Uh, there were a lot of people who were against Paul and criticized him and tried to undo the work that God had done through him. If anyone could have been just plain weary and thinking, it's just not worth it, I don't see the results. It could have been the Apostle Paul. And yet, uh, other scriptures showed that, you know, he had fought the good fight. Uh, he had finished his course. And he felt it was a, a wonderful joy to look forward to the crown that was to be given him. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 12. Book of Jeremiah, Chapter 12, beginning here in verse 1. And one last kind of visit of what we're talking about here, about how Satan can wear us down here with being weary, well-doing. Maybe that's the biggest tool uh, in our day and age that we have seen that has really hurt God's people, if God's people allow that to happen. But Jeremiah 12, verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You know me. You know, you know my character. You know my trials and thoughts and tribulations. You have seen me. You have tested my heart toward you. And he says, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beast and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there. Because they said he will not see our final end. And so the Lord answers, and this is in the uh, little subtitle here, the Lord answers Jeremiah, 
If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how can you contend with horses? How can you contend with those who ride on these strong, powerful beasts? You can't even keep up with foot soldiers here. And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the flooding of the Jordan? But we have to kind of think of that. You know, as God's people, we have lived in one of the most peaceful times in the history of God's church. I'm not saying it's been totally peaceful, but compared with the persecution, the tribulation, the problems that God's people have faced through the centuries, we have lived in one of the most peaceful in all of human history. And if we cannot, if we get wearied in the times we're living in through iniquity, through time, uh, through well-doing, how can we stand in the greater troubles that God says and prophesies will come uh, probably in our day and age? Uh, that's what we're contending with. And you see what Satan does is he, he does these things to us or allows us to experience them, uh, not just for a few months, but not just for a few years, but oftentimes there are many of us in the church of God who've been here decades, year after year after year after year. And Satan's trying to wear us down, erode our faith, uh, get us to be discouraged, to give up and quit. And if he can't do it when we're teenagers or in our young 20s, then maybe he can do it when we reach the age 70 or 80 or 90. Well, brethren, that you know, just can't happen. We cannot allow that to happen. We have to ask now the question, how do we win the long war when Satan is determined to try to destroy us, try to hurt us, try to make us give up? How do we win this long war? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40, verse 28. This is a powerful key. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator, the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He gives power to the weak, to those who have no might. He strengthens, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One key here is that God gives strength to the weary. And whether it's a short war or a long time war, the long war, God gives strength. No matter what age, how long we've been in the church of God, regardless of the kind of conditions that we face, no matter how Satan wants to wear us down, God gives strength. God is able to overcome any kind of weariness that we may temporarily feel. We have to trust to the power behind God's church, the living head who is Jesus Christ. So we 
cannot take matters into our own hands. We can't think in terms, well, I'm getting tired. I, I'm a little discouraged, so uh, let me do something else. Uh, I want to quit. I'll just, like I said, take, uh, take things into my own hands, and I'll do, make different decisions. Well, if we do that, then we're not trusting in the living head of the church of God. You know, do we worry and stew over problems and troubles in the church? That can happen. But that oftentimes just simply wears us down. It, it erodes again our faith that there is a living head who gives strength to his people, gives power to his church, that opens the doors to the preaching of the gospel, that gives ability to overcome and prevail. You know, is Jesus competent to lead his people or is he incompetent? Is Jesus Christ informed or is he uninformed? about what is going on. Is Jesus Christ powerless? Or is he lazy and he procrastinates? The answer, of course, no, he doesn't do those things. He is competent. He is informed. He is powerful. He's right on time. And he gives power and strength to his people. See, how often when Satan tries to wear us out, he does it through doubts, he tries to put burdens on us spiritually and physically. And Satan does this day in and day out as he can, as God permits. Yet, God keeps giving us encouragement to continue. He keeps giving us ability, gives us strength if we rely on him. Uh, we go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. We find an encouraging passage here, Psalm 68, verse 9. You, O God, sent a plentiful raid whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. I want you to think about those words. The implication here is that when Israel was tired, uh, needed encouragement, uh, was in a sense kind of dried out, needed needed some uh, uh, you know a, a wonderful blessing from the heavens. God gave it. God encouraged a weary Israel by giving it blessings, and God encourages a weary people by giving that people physical and spiritual blessings. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And you think about in this long war, how long have individuals endured in the church of God? Uh, we can go clear back to the accounts in Genesis. How long did Noah endure? Hundreds of years. A righteous preacher in the midst of the most carnal, degenerate society, so bad that Christ had to destroy it through the flood in that time. But that was a witness. How long did Moses endure? the difficulties 
of leading his people through the wilderness. That is God's people through the wilderness. And he remained faithful to the end. Uh, We can go through so many examples in the scriptures. King David, where he was being respectful toward government, trusting in his God. At the same time, being chased through the wilderness uh, by an angry king. That is King Saul. And for no justification, uh, David was not trying to overthrow the kingdom. David was trying to support him. And yet he was being chased and persecuted. And David kept enduring. He made some big mistakes. But David kept going on. And again, you go through every example in the scriptures, the prophets. Uh, you go to Ezra and Nehemiah and their rebuilding of the temple under extreme conditions and and maintaining their faith and their courage. You go to the New Testament where we talk about, you know, the life of Christ, uh, living all those years without sin, making a perfect sacrifice. And then the apostles started out as disciples, then appointed apostles by Jesus Christ after prayer to God the Father all night. And they endured, again, the good times, the bad times, the travails of life. And uh, either they endured until finally they were martyred or uh, they died a a long-time death in the case of the Apostle John. And we have individuals in our own day and age, individuals who uh, we saw when Mr. Armstrong was first being called to begin this era, the work of God, supported him in uh, their younger days as sometimes farmers and ranchers, And individuals living in the rural communities of Oregon and that place supported the work under hard times. But as they got older, continued to support the work, supported the college, supported, you know, the preaching of the gospel. And through the years, you can you can know people. You you can name names of individuals that you know. Started out again when they were young, and they kept at it, and they never gave up, and they kept helping and serving the church. Uh, clear to as maybe whatever age they are now, somewhere in their 70s, 80s, 90s. There may be a few in their hundreds. I don't know them personally, but I do know some personally in their 90s that are still supportive of the work of God, still carrying on, not being weary and well-doing, oftentimes only wishing that they could do more for the work of God. They could be stronger and more supportive. So we have this great cloud of witnesses So he says, let us then lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now look at the, again, these cloud of witnesses and let's not be worn down. Let's not let that, let let trials and tests, iniquity and time and the uh, uh, weariness of well-doing wear us out, but run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, the race is a long race. It's a long war. It doesn't, it's not just a quick blitzkrieg attack. It's a long war. But we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's turn back to Matthew 24 and verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13, states, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Important statement. 
Because we often ask, how long do we endure? You know, how long do we have to be living in this flesh, active in the church of God? How long do we endure? How long will it be before Christ returns? Well, brother, we don't have the answer to that. But I do have the answer to the question, how long do we endure? And that answer is, we endure till the long war is over. We endure to the end. We endure till we grow old in years. We grow old till we die in the saddle or we die in the faith, doing and practicing God's work. And if we are blessed enough to be alive when Christ returns, we endure to that resurrection. That's how long we endure. We endure till the long war is over and that Jesus Christ gives victory. Brethren, do as Christ commands here. Endure to the end. Endure so that God can reward you and say, Well done, you good and you faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from foundation of the world. Endure to the end. 